0: Now you hear it.
1: When you're a child, you learn there are three dimensions: height, width, and depth, like a shoebox. Then later, you hear there's a fourth dimension: time. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker,
0: and I'm Michael Clawson. We are once again drinking a Funky Red Patna from Hellbent Brewing Company. Always good. How are you today?
1: I am winded from watching Steven Soderbergh films and quite thrilled to put it behind us. I, I have completed all of his filmography um, as of last night, and it's an intimidating thing to do with your favorite filmmaker. um, or one of them. He's probably in my top three to put their entire canon now behind me. Not the happiest feeling, but um, yeah, yeah, exhaustive.
0: How about you? When can we expect your dissertation on Soderbergh?
1: Um, well, I've probably already written it and would just need to type it out.
0: There we go. Soon. <laughs> that means yep, soon. very soon. I like it. Uh, that's right. We are talking about 2013's side effects from Steven Soderbergh. Our one and only film today, Going Deep.
1: rescreening.
0: That's right. But first, we'll take a look at our next deep dive, which will be of Park Chan-wook's The Handmaiden.
1: Yeah, have, before we uh, do the preview for that, have you ever watched a Park Chan-wook film? The only other film of his I've seen is *Old Boy*. Yep, same for me, other than um, the Little Drummer Girl limited series he did with Florence and Alexander Skarsgård.
0: I take it back. i watched that as well.
1: But yeah. that's a limited series. So correct. the correct yeah. answer was still given by you. Uh, all right.
0: we just watched the trailer for Park Chan-wook's 2016 The Handmaiden. How you feel about doing a deep dive of this one?
1: Um, I feel a lot of different ways which were expanded in my mind by watching that trailer. This is one of those few films that has a deeply special place in my heart that I didn't grow up with that came to me in the last 5 years where I just don't like remembering what the outcome is because Mm. the journey there is so fun that I don't want to remember the twists and turns. And I'm still currently evaluating personally if I am going to watch this more than once and Mm. deconstruct the film for myself or if I'm going to tackle this rescreening assignment with a little bit of a different um, practicality or or method this time. Mm. How about you?
0: Yeah, I'm kind of thinking... Along the same lines, where I'm sort of interested in thinking about how Park Chan Wook sort of fits within some of these other Korean auteurs that have been on the map, you know, especially after Parasite's big win, you know, Parasite, what is...
1: what's that? <laughs> Small film,
0: <laughs> wouldn't have heard of it, uh, you know, and I'm more familiar now, uh, with one of these lead actresses, Kim Min Hee, um, from Hong Seng Soo movies, she's, um, his, uh, girlfriend or wife, um. Uh, So, yeah, I am kind of interested in tackling this more from the perspective of, like, maybe kind of how it kind of fits into, like, Korean film today, but we'll Mm. definitely do some other Park Chan-wook films as well, just because there's a lot I haven't seen.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm like, I'm thinking, you know, other movies from this genre, perhaps, Mm. where I might want to see, like, other uh, adaptations of books that have this type of element of criminality and, and... expert planning ahead of time um, that kind of lull you into a sense of um, false belief until the very end. And then I'm also thinking Korean cinema Park Chan-wook as, as a director and his evolution um, It is definitely interesting to reflect also on this film preceding the little drummer girl, which I think mm. we would both agree is a huge step down for him. Um Autour wise at least, it was still a decent adaptation of a of a book, I think, but it was not nearly as engrossing.
0: I, I was not nearly as thrilled by that as I was by the Handmaiden, That's yeah. for sure.
1: So I think we both perhaps revere this film and are, are thoroughly excited to to get to your selection here. Word. All right.
0: Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. We recently joined as members, and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O.
1: And now on to side effects, Michael. The main event. The main event, I hope you're prepared I'm ready you ready i I was born ready. There's a Soderbergh we're talking about. You're talking to Soda boy. You ask questions. I have answers.
0: The deep dives are always uh funny to get started
1: because uh it's always difficult to know where
0: we start um. Do you have an entry point? Yeah,
1: I think that I'll fill the listeners in a little bit since I I might have a decent understanding of this film after watching it four times, including all of its deleted scenes. Please. The original title of this film was The Bitter Pill. It was an incepted idea into Scott Z. Burns while he was touring a, I believe, New York state facility. And he was invited by the nurses uh, or... um, you know, the the medical practitioners um, in the mental ward to go witness a vampire. Um, what they call a vampire, I believe, is someone who is coming down off of a drug addiction while in a mental health facility. And that inspired him to begin his journey into this um, idea, which is a very different idea than, than that inceptive idea. But I do think it's interesting... Um, uh, as an aside, this is likely the preface to what led Soderbergh to the film Unsane as well. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a different yeah. examination of the corruption of the mental health institutions. So other than it being called The Bitter Pill, it was also the final film of Steven Soderbergh in the year 2013, before he went and made The, the Nick with Clive Owen until the year 2017, where he returned with Logan Lucky*. Because he read the screenplay and was going to help get it made. But had decided that he loved the screenplay too much to let anyone else do it. And that film is one of my favorite from the last decade. Um, So that's a brief overview of the background of the film. The film itself stars Channing Tatum, Rooney Mara, Jude Law, Catherine Zeta-Jones. And is a um, murder mystery of a different sort rather, and also a political and economic examination of our institutions, as all Scott Zeeburn's films are. Um, No character is black or white. All of them are gray. Mm -hmm. No one's good or evil. They're all middlemen. Um, Some of them have truly malicious intentions and some do not, and that's the only differentiator. Um, Mm -hmm. How's that feel for a starting place?
0: I love it. Uh I think I remember reading that this one had some uh flashy uh marketing behind it, right? With some like phony websites for a yes, the, yes. the medicine or the yeah, drug that does. You, that's you at can access
1: that on the special uh features of the uh the Canadian Blu-ray.
0: There you go. I feel like he took a page out of Jay Z's book doing retirement only to come back out and make a splash. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad play.
1: Yep. It works, and well, he came back only on iPhones, <laughs> if we remember.
0: There you go. There you go. But
1: he's coming back to actual
0: cameras, right? Yep. Going forward, or yeah. At least for But back when stuff. he
1: first came back, he's like only on iPhones.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, how do you like this one relative to
1: uh, his filmography at large? Ah, uh, middle. Yeah. Okay. Top middle. Um, definitely not the top. Because he does have so many films, and the top films there are just... They're things that I keep watching, you know? Or they're Aaron Brockovich. Like, they're just these things that accidentally end up being perfect. Mm. Or, for whatever reason, maybe Aaron Brockovich, to me, is more nostalgia than perfection. But either way, I I do put that on a pedestal as a picture, as well as Logan Lucky, as well as Unsane. I'd Mm. say it's better than High Flying Bird, but... um, maybe worse than King of the Hill.
0: Mm. Fair enough. Uh, Yeah, it's definitely up there for me. I'm not really in a position anymore to do any kind of definitive ranking, even though I still like to try and do it sometimes, even though it feels futile. So it's up there for me. Uh, But this is also just my kind of thing this is a little bit more of a Soderbergh Gone Girl or something like that exactly Um,
1: the fourth time I watched it all I was thinking was Fincher 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 Fincher
0: it definitely feels like uh uh Fincher-esque I would agree um but yeah I mean in terms of it being my kind of thing just the cold moody atmosphere of it um the noir-ish feel; these actors, particularly Rudy Mara, and just this kind of withdrawn quality that makes you feel like she's always keeping a little something from you, and she is quite literally. But that <laughs> kind of performance, that is just always a little bit repressed somehow. It's forcing me to lean in. I, I I just find super captivating, and this kind of chill that's cast by that score and 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 the look, which we'll talk about, all very much my kind of thing. Um, you know, big picture-wise, how do you feel about the vibe, the, the mood of this thing?
1: So, will you, in order to address that, you briefly mentioned the score. Mm-hmm. The, once again, the last time I watched it... So, I noticed in the third that I hadn't paid attention to it. And the fourth time I watched it, all I did was pay attention to Thomas Newman's score. And it is the thing that makes the film work. I, I mean, he definitely had to do it in conjunction with... Uh, Marianne, uh whatever her last name is, who's actually Steven Soderbergh uh, editing, but the the score is the the fundamental thing that's keying you in um, in the beginning. Like when you're watching this film for the first time and you don't know what's happening, that's the intrigue. Mm-hmm. And then when you know what's happening, that's the thing that's holding its middle finger up to you and setting the perfect tone. It's one of the best scores that that I've ever truly like broken down in a film i think Mm -hmm. and and witnessed how it manipulates you without ever becoming the sole thing that people talk about with the film
0: yeah um i mean obviously this is set in the world of big pharma and you know one of the things that stands out to me is some of these segments that just look like they are out of a pharmaceutical commercial um with this kind of false cheerfulness and the falseness of the 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 joy we're supposedly seeing in a montage where Rudy Mara's character is supposedly happy. The doubt is very much in the score. The the score is always telling us that things are not okay. Mm -hmm. And it's very effective in that regard.
1: If I'm remembering correctly, the images on the website as well as the website um, were all part of the project. And then the the click play buttons, those were the actual trailers for Blexa that he had directed that are available i i haven't watched them as recently i did them the like i did i watched those before i watched the film at all just Mm -hmm. to kind of set the tone because i didn't want it to inform how i was taking in the film the whole time but i believe that all that material was actually substantive and and something that was created um not just for the film but for the film marketing in the future you know Mm -hmm. it's it's an interesting approach like you mentioned it, you know, Jay Z had done it quite successfully. Nah. Uh, Nine Inch Nails had done it successfully. J.J. Abrams, yeah. So that, yeah, it's a it's a unique um, synthesis of multiple mediums, which I think is what makes Soderbergh so good. Um, in a recent interview, he was talking about screenplays and why he doesn't do them anymore, and he was explaining that he's not Spike Jones. He's just not. He's not that good. He's not as good as Paul Thomas Anderson. There's no way he's going to go write for four years and write Phantom Threat. It's never going to happen for him like that. So he's just focused on synthesizing everything with the camera and the performers. That's his job. And then trying to get the best out of the material. But he's going to leave the writers to do the writing. And I thought that that was a really good expression of, of kind of from him himself of exactly what I'm seeing, where it's not the super opulent or delicate Shakespearean dialogue. You'd never trust mm. Soderbergh to do something with that. It's its more of a, a sleek time that, that's really well edited, that's shot in a way that's um, just got a knack, mm. um, that, that just kind of pulls you in when it has to and, and pushes you back when it doesn't. And he doesn't always hit those marks, but I think this film is one where he hits those marks.
0: Yeah, it's definitely one... Where you don't get the sense that, or I don't get the sense that these characters are ever really searching for their words. Like, there's kind of a confidence and sharpness to the dialogue. Like, it feels, it does feel written in a good way. Like, mm-hmm. this is not, you know, the uh, kind of dialogue that, that's more in Sex, Lies, and videotape where people are, are looking for the things to say. You have a sense that people in this movie kind of know what it is that they want to say, and they say it verbatim. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. the other part of that, I think, is Rooney Mara's performance where you're watching an actor act like she's acting like someone else. Mm -hmm. And that there's a few moments where you really get to see her put that on display in her extended Mm -hmm. scenes. And that stuff is just really juicy to watch, like whatever direction and whatever performance, um, you know, just instincts she has to, to pull off some of those scenes. Are are truly mesmerizing because um, when she has the saline put into her and mm-hmm. she's doing that, like just the manipulation and the display there are so interesting. And then once you know about the Victoria's Secret bag photos, mm-hmm. watching her eye movement while she's on mm-hmm. the couch during that scene. And the way that she's expressive and uh, kind of very open with her arms that kind of brings Jude Law in a little bit because he has to move to adjust to her body language. Um, Just really, really nuanced performance that um, I just didn't see the first couple times because it just Mm. seems so effortless. But it's definitely, it's just perfect.
0: Yeah, big, that's a big reason why I think it's as fun to watch as it is. It's also one of the questions I have, like, once we know the deception that has gone on i still have kind of wondered if there really if we really see enough of a shift um in Rudy Mara's character if we really ever do see the person who plotted all this sometimes i wonder if like this could have been even more satisfying if there had been a bit more of like a reveal about the true personality beneath this who harbored so much resentment to hatch this Very complex scheme, um, you know, versus the pretty straightforward moodiness that we get through the whole thing, which I love, which which I really do like. But I almost like we learn something significant about this person without really seeing a big shift in, you know, her – how she presents herself. I almost wonder if there could have been some satisfaction in that, seeing who was really kind of behind all this. Um, But it doesn't really matter because I like the performance anyways.
1: I, I think that what you're getting at there is something that I noticed, especially the last couple times I watched it, which is, it's not just with Rooney not feeling like a completely fleshed out character by the end, because the, the manipulator character that she claims never is truly exposed. Mm. There's never a conniving bad actor exposed. There's like mm. a girl that was told to do something by someone else, but mm. there's never really like the mastermind thoughtfulness exposed to the viewer. Mm. And then Catherine Zeta-Jones just ends up feeling like a bad person without like any real semblance of a clear motive. You don't mm. get to know her character enough. She she feels very underdeveloped compared to every single other character that has any significant screen time. I mean, I know more about Ann Dowd than I do about mm. Catherine Zeta-Jones. And I think that that's just one of those things weak spots of the screenplay. I'm not saying that it's a bad screenplay, but I think that, you know, that just shows you where the, he didn't really have anything else to e- examine there. And so, mm. at the level of of the screenplay, which is more or less a societal, sociological examination of fiscal structures and, and economic structures in um, the mental health field, he just ran out of ideas for how to make a, a bad person bad, and um we never get the Jude Law level of thought process put into the opposite side of, of the story. And mm, that's yeah. one of the most disappointing things about the film to me, and one of the reasons why it's not at the top of my list.
0: Yeah. So one of the things I think I heard you say in there was that you see Rudy Mara's character as maybe taken advantage of by Catherine Zeta Jones' character. Is Potentially, yeah. Like you, you well, especially in the beginning.
1: Yeah, yeah, before the double cross at the end of the film. So it, mm-hmm. if you're just going into the film from the beginning of the film that you're introduced to um, after the flash-forward scene, right? Because you, you open mm-hmm. on the bloody footprints, very Fincher, um, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and then it goes mm-hmm. to three months earlier, I believe. Right, that opening that you're introduced to, that Rooney Mara, that character appears to be behaving at the... Masterminded instructions of Catherine Zeta-Jones. She later, you know, helps get Catherine Zeta-Jones indicted, Mm. but through no conniving of her own, just through trying to survive. Mm. You know, like she Mm. she seems like not very clever once you once you get to that point.
0: That's interesting. I I think I maybe just saw that a little differently like it did feel very much like a scheme that they concocted together i think it certainly began with rudy mark rudy mara's character coming to her with real problems with a real depression mm-hmm. but the scheme was very much one concocted together but well that's what I the dialogue it.
1: says Right, yeah, that's exactly seen, what the dialogue says. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But you, but I, but I like that you see Zeta Jones is um, taking advantage of of this situation to some extent.
1: Well, she's the doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally, um, doctor patient. You're always gonna have a hierarchy there of the, like the doctor should be the morally responsible one in the relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah. and it just doesn't feel like 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 Rooney certainly told her about like the insider trading motives but like the idea mm. to murder Channing Tatum mm. that just doesn't feel like something that she just came up with
0: mm. yeah uh to me the the big question that I, I that I think would would inform what exactly I make of Rooney Mara's character was whether or not she ever knew about this insider trading. um and she didn't she, did she, she say to. she knew
1: well she says she knows through this screenplay by letting, by the screenplay telling us that Catherine Zeta-Jones told Rooney about, like, what to do to mm-hmm. hatch this plan. And she told her about how to um, manipulate the stock market or, like, the SEC or whatever, right? There's that yeah. brief narration um, where we're looking at, it at like, uh, just a landscape or a different character than her. And we're hearing her explain that stuff, I think, to Jude Law. Mm, of, of yeah. what exactly happened and that clearly shows us that she was aware of it mm,
0: yeah yeah it's something like she taught me to feel sad and i taught her about derivatives or something mm-hmm. like that which yeah. you're right it sounds to it sounds like you're saying she that indicates she was well aware of what was going on i guess i could alternatively just assume she dated a financier she is familiar with that world mm-hmm. um but um yeah, I don't know. That, that just, uh, that, that is a question that kind of hangs in my head because this is ultimately about the resentment she harbors for him for having um, lost her this way of life that she has become so accustomed to and whether or not she was really down and informed with with the means by which it was all achieved, I think is sort of irrelevant. Um, but, uh, you know... I agree. It is, you know, a movie that is looking at how money and medicine are intertwined in some of these ethically dubious situations. But I think for me, the cleverness is that the fact that the movie feels like it is about that initially is sort of what's fun because I think that ultimately becomes more of the context rather than the point, which has more to do with, um, with it, which has more to do with greed in a way, and this woman uh-huh. having become so accustomed to this lifestyle um, that it leads to a very pulpy kind of decision. Yeah. Um, but I think there is sort of a fake out in terms of um, uh, the point being made, I guess.
1: Yeah, I, I mean it's it's definitively a genre film, which I oh, think yeah. almost all Soderbergh's films end up being, um, and you know, you never get distinctive clarity. But I, I do think that we get enough with her understanding the derivative system, as you mentioned, to know that if they invest in whichever other stock and then pull this grift on this pharma company, then that stock is going to go through the roof. And mm-hmm. that tells me that she knew about That level of grift. Now, I don't know if that's exactly what Channing was indicted for Mm -hmm. um, as far as the insider trading thing, but it's definitely um, indicative to me that it is, at least at some level. Um, So maybe it's not a a one-to-one ratio as literally almost nothing in this film is black and white or good and evil. It's all mediocre grays and then did someone do something with malicious intent or not, right? That's that's Jude Law's saving grace is he never had malicious intent until mm-hmm. literally the end of the film. And by then, you know that he's not a truly terrible person, so you let him get away with sticking her inside of a mental facility forever because you don't know if she is crazy, mm-hmm. right? Because by the end of the film, she's literally like a plotting murderer using insider trading and, like, manipulating a doctor, like, she might belong in there. Maybe he's got something to that. So he, he's the mm. only one that ends up with any sort of a benefit of the doubt by the end. Um, yeah. Other than Channing Tatum, who, you know, as always, is effortless and, and magnetic and gets killed off.
0: Yes, he does. Yeah. Uh, just the, the sequence of events I find so satisfying that it is... um. Her having been accustomed to this lifestyle that is so satisfying, it is the loss of that money and that lifestyle that makes her unhappy and in this position for a system mm-hmm. to profit off of that and her inversing that and taking advantage of the system's intent to do that. Um, I find that very satisfying and it it's pulpy and it's sort of like just hard to believe that they could pull it off. It, is, it just doesn't matter to me because the idea is so fun.
1: Mm-hmm. and that's why it's just a fun movie right that's why it's it's a good movie at at the end of the day what is side effects it's a good movie it's a sleek flick it's something you should turn on um but it's it's definitely got a lot of complex content um you know as far as the economic examination you know this is something that Soderbergh loves in all of his films is to examine um I guess the hinges of where society functions. He likes to see where the money is exchanged, you know, where the, um, the hinge is that you have to lubricate and, and put grease in. He's always interested in, in where that's happening. And here it's pharma companies, it's the, the patient doctor relationship, it's also the doctor state relationship. Um, mm-hmm. With the police and the judges that we find out, it's also with the pharma company that he was consulting for, and then in Magic Mike, it's Channing Tatum and Matthew McConaughey and trying to run a furniture business and get a, a bank loan for like twenty grand and having bad credit. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, he just always is examining that the girlfriend experience, the same thing, different level. Um, the informant, same thing, different level. It's it's all about how does the system function and what is a, a boots-on-the-ground way of examining the flaws in how it's functioning.
0: Yeah, um, it, it's like every second or third character who says that they're on some kind of drug or another. Um, and just the way people talk about it to me sounds almost like the way you would talk about a gym membership. They saw it mm-hmm. on TV, the people looked great, they looked happy. Oh, there are some downsides, you know, this doesn't quite work, this part doesn't quite work. Um Uh, You know, just like you said, the kind of the mechanics of how um, this information is spread and people are people's decisions are informed by what they learn from each other and how they're they're making decisions about what to put in their body in in a way that's no different from how they would maybe buy shoes or something. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about what other people suggest or don't suggest or say worked for them.
1: Yeah, so I I think it's right after um, the consultation on the Haitian in the beginning um, that Jude Law performs Mm. at the hospital. Um, It's a barely audible line of dialogue, but one of the nurses that's doing paperwork is talking to him about a long night and what he's drinking. And he Mm. mumbles, better living through chemistry as he's drinking Mm. either an energy drink or a coffee, I can't remember. Mm. And that is just the, the embodiment in one dialogue line of the film, right? Attempting Mm -hmm. to live better through chemistry um, for every single character involved. Now, some of them are committing crimes. Some of them are, you know, the. I would say Jude Law is the victim of the crime. Um, I I feel pretty comfortable saying that. Um, So, I I think that it is an interesting examination. If one tiny quadrant Of the system of better living through chemistry, providing better living for different folks based on how you can game the chemistry system in the United States.
0: Yeah. And uh, to me, I like the the original title, Bitter Pill, in a way, because I think it's partly about the bitterness of people when they file out, when they find out that they have been gamed in some way. Uh, uh, You know, firstly, there's Rooney Maras, who's deeply bitter about her husband having messed up and having lost all of this and then there's jude law when he realized that he's been played uh and he is not happy about it um but side effects is a pretty good title too i'd actually pick that
1: one I, I think that the marketers chose the right title but i would yeah. prefer personally the bitter pill just because like it's a it's a solid name and it mm-hmm. fits the uh he in 2013 also released behind the candelabra directly before mm-hmm. this film released um so just you know the triptych there
0: yeah. Um
1: do you like Jude Law in this movie? I really do. I really do. I've I've always been kind of out to lunch on Jude Law. I've never felt particularly strong about any of his performances other than Matchpoint. Um oh, yeah. which I don't know why I like that performance. It's just one of those things that I decided as a teenager that that was a great performance and it just never left me. But I just watched Existence last month from um, Cronenberg and then watching this over and over. He's really durable and reliable. And when I remember him in Vox Lux, he was very durable, very reliable. Um, He's definitely an actor that I I think that I just didn't know how to unlock when I was younger.
0: Yeah, I I think there's just a real believability to his confidence as a doctor. um, And then also an equal believability in his uh, shrinking confidence as he realizes uh, that something is not quite right uh, yeah and just the word solid is, is is as good as any that he just feels like he is this kind of um, patient patient non-judgmental understanding character who we kind of suspect might be doing something wrong this just seems like it's set up to expose the way doctors are taking advantage of patients or the companies are taking advantage of people and it's ultimately kind of going from the bottom up and instead and he's caught in the middle Um but even just like the very first scene, he's literally understanding a person mm-hmm. uh, and what, what it is they're trying to say in a different language. Um, yeah, you, you buy it the whole way through.
1: Yeah, he's, he is the bedrock of the picture. I I haven't performed the mental exercise, but I think there's very few actors that could have performed that role as, as convincingly. You know, I think of um, maybe a Christopher Abbott or someone like that, that, that maybe like would have just really convinced me of the innocence and also role that he's playing in the system. But mm-hmm. I think that Channing Tatum wouldn't have worked um, in that role. I think that he was mm-hmm. perfectly cast here. Um, and and th- that is something that I do find interesting, is casting what is normally a leading man as your dead character. You know, mm-hmm. This isn't Neil Patrick Harris with a, a slit throat at the end of Gone Girl. This is... Mm-hmm. Killing the heartthrob of America in 2013, mm-hmm. um, and alluding to that murder in the first scene, and then performing it, I think, at like the 30 minute mark of, an, yep. of a nearly two hour movie. Um, so it's, I, I, I find. Soderbergh's tendencies to be one of the most fascinating things about his synthesis process, where he just kind of like everywhere where you know that there's like a way that the wood grain goes, he goes that way and then puts a little knot in there. Mm. And and that's what makes it distinctly Soderbergh. Like it's still Mm. clearly the same furniture. It's made out of wood but there's a lot more knots in it at places you didn't expect it to be.
0: Yeah. I, I, I was just kind of glancing at like how it was received at the time. And it feels like one of the common reactions was that it w- it got a little too convoluted. I think I even used that word in my own little n- tiny review on Letterboxd and on a second view. And I was like, this really isn't that hard to follow. Um, it's just kind of quick in its turns at the end, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I actually don't know that I agree with that anymore, that it's convoluted. I think that's the wrong word that expressed. To me, that sounds like it's hard to follow. I don't know that that's true. I Um, I think
1: it is hard to follow in the sense that the dialogue that tells us what's happening is at some points brief and crucial. So I think that some of the most crucial plot mechanics are very brief dialogue sequences where if you zoned out for a second or took a bathroom break, you can come back and literally not understand the fundamental plot of this film, which yeah, is yeah. another unique thing. I think about Scott Z. Burns as, as a screenwriter. I don't think it's so much Soderbergh. As a filmmaker, I think that you could take a 30-minute break in the middle mm. of Logan Lucky and still entirely understand that these gummy bears are going to blow this safe vault, um, yeah. whereas that's not going to happen here that's um just as crucial and unsane trying to follow stuff um if you miss certain segments of unsane w- which is also about mental health you end up missing the detail i i do find his preoccupation with mental health in societal systems i think the most interesting thing about re-watching this movie outside of each performer and you know each person working on this film in their personal jobs i think that just that overarching examining of sociology in America because he's almost only ever done American films is one of the most interesting things about him as a creator
0: yeah and this idea that uh, the the decisions you make um, in terms of how you treat any issue you have is bigger than just your relationship with your doctor it is a function of the ads you see on TV it's a function mm-hmm. of the recommendations you get from people about what they uh, say worked for them or didn't work for them and who those people are whether it's your boss at work or a rando at a party um, so who
1: you think is your colleague yeah, that's yeah. that's looking for an Oblixa sample and then says oh I only have a pen
0: yeah yeah um, you know I, I think arguably it's kind of um, a predictable movie like there just aren't that many suspects right we, we've seen this murder at the beginning. I, we, maybe you don't know that it's Channing Tatum who, who's going to get murdered, but there are only so many people even in this movie. I think mm-hmm. I can understand someone who feels like this is predictable. Just not a problem for me personally.
1: Yeah. I think the predictability of it once again is not the point. That's, that's the thing is, is Soderbergh always going to be in your genre or whatever genre you think he's in. He's probably in because he's pretty straightforward about being a genre filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he never makes it with with the intent, probably, of just being in that genre. Mm -hmm. Whatever the screenplay is, that's the genre. He's going to lean into synthesizing that style of filmmaking, communicating it to the viewer, trying to make it a really good time, or a really um, interesting film, whichever one comes first. Or he's going to do it for his own self-interest, a la Girlfriend Experience, or Mm -hmm. Schizopolis, um, or the Grey's Anatomy, right? Those are films that are very... Um, I wouldn't call them technically proficient, really. Mm-hmm. They're fine, but they're not the level that he's hitting here, Ocean's Eleven, um, when he was doing his own cinematography. Um, so there's, there's different modes that Soderbergh works in, and, and here it's just about, I think, for him communicating his feelings about the system that he's a part of mm-hmm. in Hollywood before he did his mic drop as temporary as it was.
0: Just to go run and pick it up.
1: (laughs) Yep. Give me that mic again. Yep. Uh, Well, I made Logan lucky. Let me do Mosaic now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Let me make an app.
0: Yeah. Uh, How do you feel about the look of the film?
1: Yeah, You used the word moody earlier. Mm. That's exactly what I think when I think of this movie. Mm. It's partially because of Thomas Newman's score. But it's also the way that Soderbergh is getting the glass and the light. You know, the office is a very interesting thing that he depicts in this film. To me, there's a few different offices that we see. None of them feel monotonous. None mm-hmm. of them feel truly dull. Each of them have their own little spirit and light. Um, Rooney Mara's office is a, is a little bit more um, like dark and not necessarily warm but really like an understanding vibe comes from the characters there Mm -hmm. um so you don't feel like it's a negative place and then you have jude law's office which feels like a pretty good place until his confrontation at the end catherine zeta jones like it's a the mood of the piece is very complex we talked about Mm -hmm. the single upward shot i think that's the Mm -hmm. the thing that It's the exclamation mark in the middle of it. It's like a piece of of, uh, visual jazz where I just, I can't Mm. lose that single note that it did. That affected the entire mood of that piece for me. That's where everything goes up.
0: Yeah, certainly makes you ask why. Uh And then the fact that it doesn't come back only makes you stuck with that question. Um, Yeah, you use the word cold, which I think is the right word. And uh, that's certainly like the part that's kind of unnerving about it is that these are, you know, decisions that should be kind of warm is how how do you treat depression? How do you talk to someone about depression and figure out how to tackle it? Um, but none of these re- our relationships are, like have any real warmth to them to me. Um, and it's funny that this ultimately becomes kind of an erotic thriller, but there's really no steaminess to it. Like it still feels kind of chill to the touch. Um, the
1: closest we get is Jude Law's um, stepson. Mm-hmm. interrupting him when he's tearing off uh, his girlfriend's oh, yeah. shirt, right? Like, that's yeah. as close to steamy as we get. And then we have that really um, what would normally be a steamy scene anywhere else where Rooney's writing Channing Tatum and then she jumps off and he says, whoever made this pill is gonna be fucking mm-hmm. rich. And immediately you're just like you, you just have so many thoughts, right? Like the first time mm-hmm. you watch that, you might be convinced by it. And then the second time you watch it, you're like, is Channing thinking of investing in it? The third mm-hmm. time you already know what's happening. And you're like, is she even on the pill at this point? Like it has yeah, nothing yeah. to do with this. This is just acting.
0: Yeah. um, And just the fact that like, we don't even see people in the same frame very often. It's, it's, it is a really edited movie with lots of shots, shot reverse shots where, people are kind of divided not only into their own frames, but also with focus. You know, you're seeing mm-hmm. people, one person in focus, one person out of focus. That just kind of accentuates how everyone's kind of in it for themselves here. Um, even though there are some relationships um, just it kind of adds to that cool sense of kind of isolation, people navigating the system for themselves um, and, and trying to trust each other, but that not clearly not being a good idea.
1: Yeah. Peter Andrews, solid cinematographer. There you go. Also known as Steven mm. Soderbrick. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, I think it I think it's uh, cinematography is
1: awesome. Yeah. Um I, I guess the the performances are maybe the the thing that are most memorable and perhaps least discussed, uh, especially for the support. What do you think about like Anne Dowd in her role? Oh, she's role.
0: great. Very short role, but just the 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 concerned mother who just doesn't understand why the drugs aren't working when she's seeing the ads. People are happy. What's the problem? Um, awesome supporting character. Yeah, I like Jude Law's wife, Vanessa Shaw. Yes. Um, very good. I don't see her very often.
1: Um, I would like to see more of her. her. Her role, while extremely limited, is kind of wholly convincing, right? They walk out the door and there's all the press, and she goes what is this someone famous Mm. and then the lines of questioning starts and she gets confused. And um, the delivery of the slap, that key slap Mm. with the uh, envelope of photos, there's just so much uh, juice there. Also um, I think her name's Marin Ireland. She's normally given a lot more to do in a film, but she's literally just the person with the present in the jail Mm. trying to, to get the present in. And normally she would be like a seven minute supporting character minimum in a mm. film. He, he's just brimming at the seams with all this quality. Um, I feel like I've seen the the character who plays the cop before. I don't remember his name, but there's mm. there's just a lot of stuff around these characters that makes everything feel real, um, w- which mm. is really the defining characteristic of Soderbergh movies working or not Mm -hmm. is whether or not the offices feel real. Does it feel like a real diner? Does it feel like a real jail? I never found myself feeling that anything was fake in the picture, which is really, you know, there's a lot of things that go into making a movie work, but if everything feels real, it's kind of hard to mess up a movie working at that point. It might not be a Mm -hmm. great movie, but it has to work. And this movie works.
0: Yeah, the uh, prosecuting attorney who Jula ultimately goes to to try and Great. convince he's good. I I kind of feel like I've seen him before. I probably haven't. He just kind of has that sense of he kind of feels familiar to me. I thought he was really good. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know that there are many weak players here except that I do feel like Kathra Zita Jones is kind of in her own mode of performance and it's very satisfying to me so I don't mind it mm-hmm. but it does feel almost old-fashioned to me. This feels more like Forties femme fatale or something, very breathy, very sort of silky smooth in her gestures, whereas everyone else is a little bit more inwardly focused. Whereas she is very expressive in her gestures and her breathing and her voice, which is great if you ask me. No complaints. Yes.
1: uh When she hits Jude in the back of the head, love it. Yeah. Um. Yeah she she's an interesting. The, the whole film cast-wise just feels interesting because I don't think Channing's done another film since Logan Lucky, if I'm remembering mm. correctly, right? Because right before Logan was Hateful Eight, mm-hmm. spoiler, um, and then Logan Lucky, and he's, I think, been working on his directorial debut since then, which comes out next year. Mm. Um, so I, I'd really like to see him re-team with Soderbergh because um, mm. the... I don't think there's ever been a bad one personally and I I just really like him as a performer. He's kind of uh a Brad Pitt to me. He's a he's a man of many hats. Every hat that he puts on seems to feel convincing. Mm-hmm. Um even the terrible, you know, Dear John movie that he did with mm-hmm. Amanda Safreed, he felt like a real character there even though it was a bad movie. Um so I guess, just examining those characters by themselves. I'd like to see Catherine Zeta-Jones do another picture with Soderbergh as well. Uh, Rooney's been off the map for a while.
0: Yeah. Uh, I couldn't even tell you off the top of my head what the last
1: She did a narration for a documentary last. Um, ah, and I, that I think did. that she she and Joaquin are having a kid now, so I don't know how mm. soon she's going to be getting back to it. Um, but her level of performance i definitely feel like a major loss there the work that she was putting out with fincher and here um was just really special her work with malik um Mm. you know um jude law he's going he's going
0: oh yeah no stopping Uh, him yeah i remember i think it was after girl with the dragon tattoo came out um that Some people took issue with that performance, and I remember specifically the word vacant being used. That It just felt like that was sort of an an, an empty kind of performance, which is not untrue to me, but I guess it's just exactly the kind of thing I like that just feels like it's all kind of beneath the surface, forcing you to try and read her. I mean, I think the movie, the style, the score is telling us that there is something you know, not right about this whole movie. Um, but at the same time, it's very much just in that performance, um, and this this kind of withdrawal that I think is just magnetic. Like you just the more you pull away, the more I wanna, you know, know what's going on.
1: With her as a performer, I, I think that there's some merit to that word. That performance in that film, no.
0: I oh, just watched it. Yeah, yeah, I
1: just watched it. No. Not a chance. That's definitely not a vacant performance her work in the library when Mm. she goes to get her coffee and um there's the attack and everything oh man no there's that's such a charged film (laughs) oh my god like there are scenes where she's acting aloof to to try to protect herself or because she's in shock from getting uh raped or Mm. when she's trying to act vacant because she's tricking him into doing it again on camera um, which which is brutal scenes, no doubt, but like all that is still that meticulous level of performance from her. Where mm-hmm. I just I aloof is something she's very capable of, but mm-hmm. that performance particularly is not a wholly aloof one.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: it's very studious, I would say.
0: Yeah. Other thoughts.
1: Uh, what do you think about voyeurism in Soderbergh films?
0: Ah, um that is uh is that a theme that i thought of during this film i can't say it is i'm trying to think now how that fits uh into side effects um let me stew on it for a minute do you have a thought here
1: yeah i i think that a lot of the camera angles that Soderbergh presents us with feel very situational um and at the eye line of a human so uh Often I, I feel like I'm a voyeur of whatever it is I'm seeing. Some of them are certainly private, intimate moments. Uh, Jude Law on the couch with, with Vanessa or um, you know, Channing and, and Rooney in their room. Um, however, when I'm in the office and he's having the confrontation with um, his, um, his co-workers who he, he runs the practice with, I feel like I'm a character sitting on the ledge mm-hmm. in there with them. When we're at the um the dining room table, same characters. I felt like I was at the mm-hmm. dining room table. Even the party is shot kind of like uh Rachel getting married was shot, you know, there at the end before he's arrested, where it just feels like you are at the party. The the camera's kind of just working in that that way. Um or you feel like you're Rooney as she's grabbing the the note off of the the windshield. I think that he's really technically proficient at using that camera to make you feel like you are standing where he's standing during Mm. these scenes and um i I think that that translates really well to feeling like you're the voyeur
0: Mm. yeah yeah he's one who i guess i think of i don't usually find myself thinking during a soderbergh movie like wow what a composition like he like i don't think of him as really like ever thinking in terms of like tableau it's more Painterly, about perspective that's not yeah it. yeah yeah it's more about perspective and naturalism is not the word i don't know why that almost popped into my head it's uh it's yeah m- m- more about perspective and yeah i guess voyeuristic is is a, is a relevant word for this one i think you know it's just even more um apparent in something like unsane, where we're cognizant of what perspective from which we might be seeing these things whereas mm-hmm. here it's it's more it's kind of organic. Uh, you know, when I'm watching Rooney Mara, I'm not usually really thinking of the point of view from which I'm looking at anything, even though it might feel like someone who is just at the train station, right, to put thought into it, you know?
1: Right, but I, I think that's just there subliminally and I don't think that it's like an overt decision even by Soderbergh, i think it might just be Mm -hmm. like a passive thing especially with some of his movies where just the way that he shoots a picture you end up kind of feeling like you are him because he is the the cinematographer of all these films that we're watching post aaron brockovich um so you kind of get the the sense that you're there whereas i think in a deacon's film you never feel like you're a witness. Um, that's seen things mm. that you're not privy yeah. to. You feel like everything is set up and, and has that painterliness or the the Paul Thomas Anderson, Cohen Brothers like mm-hmm. storyboarding level to it. Y- yeah. You know that type of thing. Where here, it just and in um not just on Sane but High Flying Bird, even I I definitely just feel like I'm there on the street or I'm there in the office at, at a level that I don't with a lot of other cinema.
0: Yeah, I mean. I think that's a. I think that's a very common interpretation of his movies is sort of tapping into some voyeuristic mm-hmm. um, POV, I guess, which is always funny to me because at the same time he's often very deliberately not shy about choosing angles that could not be from a person's perspective, yes. like a like a gas pedal or something like yep. that, right? Where it's right before she commits suicide it jumps right to her foot yep well that that that's not voyeurism but it kind of feels like it is so it's more about like how it actually just feels rather than whether or not it literally is a you know a, a hypothetical pov or not
1: yeah there, there's a word um that i find that i've found myself this whole month watching soderberg again um drawn back to with him and that's the word knack You know, kind of of like a gut feeling or, you know, it's kind of got that semblance to it where someone just has a knack for that and you just let it go. And I think that Soderbergh just has a knack for getting the shots he needs to make me feel the story visually and going. Now, they're not tableau, as you said, they're not painterly, they're not decadent, they're not lavish outside behind the candelabra, but they are deliberate and they just feel at ease with telling you the story they they're not overshot they're never really indulgent they just feel as if they are the entire semblance of the content and you don't need any more you're not asking to go Mm. back to that scene because you didn't get enough there you you got Mm. all you needed essentially from it
0: yeah there's definitely kind of an efficiency to it i don't think i'm used to I don't know that I've ever described a Soderbergh movie as feeling bloated. Like, they always feel pretty lean. Well... Um, though there are plenty the of have <laughs> I,
1: I I suppose I, so. I but, think that's um, the most bloated I've ever felt. Yeah. Of his yeah. pictures.
0: Yeah. Um, but uh, once a scene has served its purpose, he's usually ready to move on. There's there's not a lot of slack in these movies. Um, They, they tend to move. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and um, I I guess the other part of the voyeurism is the real-worldness that it feels like. Like, you're not—I brought up Shakespeare earlier, but you're just never watching these, like—you're never watching Tom Hanks deliver a monologue to Julia Roberts, who's delivering a monologue to George Clooney, who's delivering a monologue to— like, it's not monologue oriented. It's all just quick, snappy, rhythm go. Um, he doesn't always make v- what I would call visual jazz films, but I think that a lot of his films do break down a little bit into some of those jazzy flourishes. The Limey is probably the most visual jazz of all his pieces, but, you know, Magic Mike has its, its um, jazziness as well. So I, I just mm. think that that's part of what else. Or what other portions make him a great filmmaker? Um, he has a project coming out that's going to be a comedy uh, on Netflix later this year. I'm forgetting mm. the name of it, though. Um, stars Meryl Streep.
0: Yeah, that sounds familiar. I can't yep. remember what it's called. But, and then
1: um, he's got Kill Switch next year, which should be shooting next spring. If everything goes right, which is going to be a gangster picture.
0: I like the sound of that.
1: So, I'm, I'm pretty excited. Is there anything else you wanted to go over here? Any final notes on the bitter film? Bitter pill in Steven's final film. What about a favorite scene? Any highlights? Ooh. Yes.
0: Shots, moments you love?
1: Yeah. There's a lot of moments I love. That's tough, though. I would have to go with Channing Tatum scenes, but I don't know which of his scenes. Probably when he comes home and looks at the sailboat looks at the table Mm. and then goes into the kitchen and just the way that he plays that, the way that he backs away from Rooney and then is still like talking to her lovingly. Um, just selling that scene. I I think that, you know, it seems like a really easy scene, but I think it's one of the most effortless death scenes that I've ever seen.
0: Very fun scene. Uh, I guess I kind of have two, to, just because I like them for the same reason. One is the montage that's in the middle when she supposedly is finally feeling better. And there's kind mm-hmm. of a montage of them, uh, Mara and Tatum on a walk, and they're very happy. And then there's the actual flashback to her at the like picnic in his backyard before he gets taken to prison. Um, and just how they feel like advertising, in a way, mm-hmm. um, and just perfectly capture that kind of phony happiness that that you see in ads for these kinds of antidepressant or anxiety medicines um and how there's something just kind of unsettling about them um especially when there is those you know f- f- smiles on people's faces and the list of everything that can go wrong right right beneath it that movie mm-hmm. this movie is about what can go wrong and and why people are maybe not happy when they say they are um so Those are pretty good.
1: That's a great selection. Definitely uh, reminiscent of a little bit of Putney Swope, those advertisements. Oh,
0: yeah. Putney (laughs) Swope, hard to beat. (laughs) And that's another one in the can. Now you don't.